Paul's been pointing out two types of people here for us, primarily in chapter two. Does anybody remember who they were? Anybody venture to take a guess? Two types of people. One was, yeah, I see that hand. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know you're asking for a Bible. Anybody remember? One was the natural man, and the second person was the spiritual man. Somebody said it right, spiritual man. Two types of people that we see, the natural man and the spiritual man. Now, the natural man, it tells us, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man is the unsaved person. Paul's referencing him there in, in chapter 2, verse 14, saying, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That means that that they can't grasp or understand the things of God because they're still walking in that unregenerate, uh, natural state, uh, not walking in the Spirit of God. They don't understand those things. So this is a person that's not been born again. He's living for sensual things, the things of the flesh. He's governed by the sin nature. The natural man has no inkling to the things of the Spirit. That's why you can try to talk to a person that's that's unregenerate that's unsaved he's not a believer and you can tell them the simple truth of the gospel of what jesus has done for for them and apart from the spirit leading them they're just looking at you with a blank stare on their face like you're trying to explain physics to a three-year-old it just doesn't compute it just goes right over their heads you see but now paul addresses the spiritual man and the spiritual man it says that's the one that's born again Paul references him in chapter 2, verse 12, when he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the, the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So Paul says, here's the spiritual man. He's been born again. He's been made alive now. Like, like Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've come out of death into life, darkness into light, We've been made alive now through the Spirit. So there's regeneration, transformation. That's the spiritual man. And he's now being led along by the things of the Spirit. He's got a new understanding now because he's a new creation in and through Christ. That's the spiritual man. But now, in chapter 3, Paul introduces us to a third man. A third man, the carnal man. The carnal man. This is actually a subgroup of the spiritual person, the believer. The carnal man is a person that has been saved, yet he's still grappling with and living to some extent for the things of the flesh. For those who are believers, we're on that plane, on our way to heaven. The spiritual man is the one that's flying first class. He's just enjoying that trip. The carnal man... Well, he's on that plane, but he's kind of flying in the cargo department. It's a little bit cold. It's a little bit bumpy. It's not too, they get no refreshments coming their way. The natural man doesn't even realize there's a plane to board. He's missing out altogether. But that's the, the, the difference here. This is the idea. Everybody falls into one of two categories, the spiritual man or the natural man, the unsaved versus the saved. But the saved now also falls into one of two categories, the mature the spiritual, or the immature, the carnal. And this is what Paul begins to address here in chapter three. We're gonna look at verses one to four and see the characteristics of the carnal man. And then in verses five to 11, we're gonna see the foolishness of the carnal man. The characteristics of the carnal man and then the foolishness of the carnal man. So Paul says in verse one, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal 
as to babes in Christ. Now, some might be right off the bat listening to what's being said so far and thinking, hold on, Brent, this sounds like a real contradiction of terms. How can you have a person that's saved and still be carnal? This seems like an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. How can you have these two relating together? And I, I would agree. I go, man, I struggle over this. What, how, how does a person really you know, reveal themselves to be saved? When does that really happen? What's going on? But what I do see is Paul addressing brethren, the church. He's, he's addressing those that are saved. And then he also says at the end of verse one, your babes in Christ. So these are people that are in Christ. And I know over my years of living, there's been many times I've been quick to kind of write somebody off and go, oh, that person, they're not really saved. They're watching R-rated movies. I don't think they're really saved. And I've written people off and I failed through it. Suddenly, the, and then they'll, they'll do something where I just suddenly realize, oh no, that's, that person is in Christ, they're saved. And I recognize how wrong I was and how big God's grace really is. How we need to be careful not to write people off. It'd be very easy to do so. But Paul is referencing, there are people that are believers that have not yet matured in their walk with the Lord. They've not yet grown up, in a sense, in the things of the Lord. Now, to be clear, again, when we speak of carnality, we're talking about those that allow the flesh to sway them and where the appetites of the natural man still win out at times over the things of the spirit. But if we're all honest, isn't that a struggle that we all face from time to time? In fact, Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14, Paul would say, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Can anybody relate to the struggle? Don't, don't raise your hands, because we'll just keep that between us. But I'm sure many of us can sit here and go, I relate to that. I understand the, the struggle and the pull of that old man that still wants to have its way but in no way is this any kind of an excuse to say oh well i appreciate that i guess then it's okay for me to say i'm a christian but just continue on in my old nature and gratify the things of the flesh like that's not what we're saying at all paul would paul's relating here in this passage to share about how the law cannot help you or save you religion cannot make a difference in you we need jesus christ we need his help in us. We need his spirit to fill us and empower us to live this life for the Lord. And we have the victory in and through Jesus Christ. You see, those that go, well, I prayed a prayer one day and I've accepted Jesus into my life when I was at camp when I was seven years old, but now I can just go ahead and do whatever I want because, well, that prayer sealed me. You're missing it. Because John, John would go on to say in 1 John 3, verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now that again is a passage that might bring a little bit of, uh, uh, of worry or needing some clarification for you because 
we're all guilty of sin. What John has in mind here is the individual that is choosing to habitually live in that lifestyle of sin. There's, there's absolutely no, um, there's no sign of the spirit that is filling them and empowering them to live for Christ. They are still walking according to that old nature. That's who John has in mind. And those that are continuing on to fulfill and live for the old nature, John says, then you don't really know God and are not known by him. See, we should not be looking for ways to satisfy the flesh. We should be looking for ways to crucify the flesh and to die to self, to give up those desires and desire to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Galatians 5, verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we as believers should be doing. That's the, the mark of the spiritual person. Not that they don't struggle with the flesh, but they're saying, I'm crucifying the flesh. I'm not living for those things any longer. So the carnal person, as Paul is laying out for us here, is a person that's saved and has the spirit in them because everyone who puts their trust in Jesus has the spirit dwelling in them now. But we still struggle against the old nature and the fallen flesh. Though the carnal Christian has the spirit in them, they're not fully in the spirit. And there's a big difference there. The spirit is dwelling in them, but the spirit is not defining them. The spirit is not governing them and directing them and, and revealing Jesus through their lives. There's a difference there. And so Paul says, you guys at Corinth, you're still in this carnal state. I, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, he says, because they wouldn't have grasped those things. It was over their heads. They were still so caught up in what they can do for themselves rather than seeking to please the Lord. And Paul's a little surprised with this because he would have thought that by this time now that he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth that he founded, they would have progressed by now. They would have grown up. They would have begun to develop these interests and desires for the things of the spirit, but they haven't got there yet. See, there's a season in your life where being a babe in Christ is quite normal and it's quite sweet. There's nothing like seeing a new believer come to know the Lord. And, and they're a babe in Christ and that's good. There's a season for that. They're coming together for communion. They're like, what in the world is this? Why are these crackers so small? What is this juice we're drinking? What is it all about? And they don't fully understand all these things, but it's, they're discovering it's sweet. And you, and, and you just give them a pat. You're just like, that's okay, man. You're going to grow in these things. Yeah, there's nothing like holding a newborn in your arms. And I've had the sweet pleasure of being able to do that with my new grandson this past week. Pretty much every day I've been over there overextending my welcome, I know. But... <laughs> And uh, it's so great to just see this new little born. And there's just something about them that just captivates you, entertains you. But if after 5, 15, 20 years, they're still doing the things of a baby, like you come over and they're still jumping into your arms and wanting to be coddled and they're sucking their thumb, they're asking for you to change him at 20 years old, you're going, listen, no, no is losing a bit of the magic now. Like, that was okay when you were a newborn. I don't want to be doing that now. And there's some Christians that still kind of behave that way. 
that are acting that way. There should be progression. There should be growth. There should be walking into maturity. And there's some Christians that are just very content to stay in that baby stage where they just want everything to be fed to them. Paul says there in verse 2, listen, I, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. See, milk is good. Paul came to them the first time and he delivered milk to them. The milk of the word, is, as 1 Peter 2 says, milk is good. There's a time for milk. Babies need milk. I, for one, love milk. I love cereal. So milk is a very key component for that. And I'll have my cereal in the morning. I'll have cereal at night. If my wife is not home, I'll have cereal for dinner. And, uh, I, I, and, and when I wake up in the morning and I see that there's no milk in the fridge, I do turn in a bit of a baby. I become very carnal at that point. I'm, I'm crying, I'm wailing, I'm like, where's the milk? I need milk! How am I getting my cereal? It's not good. But, but milk is, is good. There's a time for milk. But you can't have a steady diet of milk. Can you? I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering. <laughs> is it okay? No, it's not good to do that, right? You're not going to grow. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be strengthened if you're on a steady diet of milk. And Paul came to them the first time giving them the milk of the word, giving them just the truth, the simple truth of the gospel of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. But as time went on, he was hoping that they would be progressing onto greater things, onto better things, onto solid food. There, there's a time for that where they need to be maturing in and being strengthened by greater and more solid food. But they weren't able to receive it. And Paul says, even now, you're not able to receive it. He's kind of showing, I'm a little bit surprised that you've not been growing in these things. You've not been moving on into the greater things of the Lord. The author of Hebrews references the same idea in Hebrews 5 verse 12 when he says, for though by this time you ought to be part, uh, teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So there's a difference there. There's a time for milk, but there's a time now to be growing in the more solid foods that are going to equip you and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord. So what's the difference then essentially between the milk of the word and the solid food of God's word? Well, again, like I said, milk is kind of learning the basic truths of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That Jesus came and died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. Every person needs to start out there and recognize their need for salvation, their need for forgiveness, their need for a savior. We introduce Jesus as the good news. That's the milk of the word, introducing what Jesus did for you. But then Moving on to more solid food is moving past what Jesus did for you and to see who Jesus is now, what he's actively doing in your life right now, the ministry of Jesus here today and what he has in store for us. It's moving on to these things to see again how these things now apply to our lives. John Corson said, the baby Christian only knows Jesus loves me, this I know. And as great of a truth as that is, that person's not gone on to see who Jesus is presently and what's ahead prophetically. Because there's some great things 
in store for us as believers. There's so, so many great things in God's word to continue to study in and begin to devour the solid food of God's word to, by which we grow and strengthen and mature in. If we're just every morning in our devotions reading John 3.16, well, that's enough to save you, but you're not gonna grow in the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's actively doing now and what he has prepared for you to where you're strengthened to handle the, the, the situations that you're gonna face in life today. Sadly, many Christians have just relied upon a church to teach them. And sadly, there's many churches that aren't teaching the word of God today to where Christians are not growing and they're staying in a stunted place of growth and sadly, living carnal Christian lives. We need to be growing in God's word, not just relying upon somebody else to spoon feed you, but devouring the truth of God's word and moving on into solid food that God has for us because God has so much for us. And I think we'll just be scratching the surface. If you're reading the Bible through every year, I think you're still just scratching the surface. You keep diving in. You just keep mining for those truths and seeing what God has for you and being able to grow thereby. So may we be taking in a complete diet of God's word that we might grow and mature and not be like babies who are just absolutely dependent on someone else. So as Paul's been dealing with the characteristic of carnal Christians, we're seeing how they are, are stunting their growth because of their diet. Characteristic of a carnal Christian is seeing the diet is, is insufficient, but then also another characteristic of a carnal Christian is divisiveness. Look what Paul says next here in verse three. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? See, the congregation at Corinth that Paul's addressing here was having a real hard time getting along. It's been reported to Paul that there's disputes, there's divisions, and Paul's having to address these things. And what's at the center of all that? Primarily self. That was an immature view to have where you are so focused on just your needs and your wants and your desires. It's not unlike a couple toddlers that get together for a play date and you can seat two toddlers down on the floor and you can surround them with toys. And guess what toy that one toddler is gonna want? The toy that's in the hand of the other toddler, right? They're gonna be like, I want that. And no matter if they have 10 toys in front of them and they could even have the same toy right in front of them that that toddler has, they're gonna want that one. And they're gonna beat them over the head until they get it, right? They're gonna take up a nice Fisher Price hard plastic toy that we used to play with and just bop them over the head and then boom. It's like that kid's crying and now he's got his toy. Not gonna be great, it's not gonna be pleasant, but that's how, how toddlers operate. And sadly, Paul's saying, this is not unlike what is happening in the church. You're all dividing and there's strife and there's envy. You're all wanting certain things, but it's all tied into a selfishness. See, when you're living the carnal life, a life that's living for self and the gratification of self, you're gonna find yourselves coming apart. There's not gonna be a, a real blessing and peace and joy. You're gonna find things coming apart and just becoming that much more uh, divisive and disruptive. Reminds me of a story of a, a pastor and a worship leader that began to really disagree on different things and, and really get you know, into some big disputes and division. As time went by, that began to spill over into the worship service. 
Well, one week the pastor was preaching on commitment and how we should all dedicate ourselves to the service of the God, of God. And, and the song leader that day led the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. The second week, the pastor preached on tithing and how we all should gladly give to the work of the Lord. The song leader led the song, Jesus Paid It All. The third week, the pastor preached on gossiping and how we should all watch our tongues. The song leader, in kind of uh, divisiveness, led the song, I Love to Tell the Story. With all this going on, the pastor became very disgusted and, and disappointed over the whole situation and the following Sunday told the congregation that he was considering resigning and the song leader led the song oh why not tonight and then as this went on sure enough the pastor submitted his resignation he was done with it all the next week he came to church and announced his resignation but he told the church Jesus led him here and it was Jesus that was leading him on and the song leader led the song what a friend we have in Jesus so these are things that can easily spill out into the church and, and begin to cause a lot of disruption. And, and, and there's nothing good that comes of it. With all this divisiveness going on, Paul says, you are at the end of verse 3. He says, what? You're, you're behaving like mere men. In other words, he's saying, you're, you're acting just like the world. The world that's in that natural state where you can realize and understand why they're living for self because they're not regenerate, but it should not be the case with the church. As you've given your life to the Lord and the Spirit is dwelling in you, there should be a change now taking place. See, God's given us the power to live differently from the world. Too often, we're, it seems like the church is trying to match the world, be like the world, relate to the world, when we're called to come out and be different from the world. And the world is looking for something different. The world's not happy with what's going on in the world. They, they're looking for something different, and the church should be that. But it's a sad thing when the church becomes indistinguishable from the world. And so Paul says, you're just behaving like mere men, like the world right now. You're being carnal. You're being driven by the flesh. You're living selfishly. That should not be the case because God's given us his spirit. And it's his spirit that brings new life and brings the power to live differently. Are you walking in the spirit? Are you living in the spirit? Are you being empowered by his spirit today? Are you being that spiritual person or are you still allowing the natural person or or the things of carnality to have a hold in your life we need to be relying upon the lord jesus this is as paul would say in romans 13 verse 14 to put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh are you daily waking up with that understanding of i want to put on jesus christ i don't want my flesh to rule I don't want the flesh to govern me in any way today. I want to put on Jesus. I want to put on the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and be governed by the things of the Spirit. That's what we're called to do. Paul says in verse 4, for when one says, I'm a Paul or I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Again, Paul's thinking back now to what he had already addressed in chapter 1 when there were all these party lines being drawn and divisions were taking place some were saying oh i follow paul oh no no i follow paul no no i follow peter he's like one of the original guys we're gonna link and then others say no i follow christ we're the real spiritual party and and all these divisions were happening they were boasting in who they were following but more so they were boasting in the fact that they felt they had it right as opposed to everybody else ultimately boasting in themselves paul says when you conduct yourself that way, are you not just being carnal? Whenever you're elevating self, whenever you're boasting self, whenever you're walking in pride, 
Are you not just walking in carnality? And Paul flat out calls it that. They're being fleshly, worldly. They're being immature. And Paul was even willing to put, you know, his own fan club down and possibly offend them, saying, when you say I'm of Paul, I mean, you think Paul would give them a pass. Hey, guys, I appreciate that. But he's like, no. Those of you that say I'm a Paul, are you not carnal? Paul's recognizing there's nothing in me. There's nothing good about me. Paul was in the spirit and simply living to glorify the Lord. And he saw that could only happen in a greater corporate way when people were walking the spirit rather than the flesh, when they're following Jesus rather than following men. Ogilvy in his commentary said, when we don't grow, several things happen, all of which are bad. First, we lose sign or sight of the real goal that Christ has for us, and that is to become spiritual persons. Then we look a lot like people who are not Christians. Lostness and spiritual infancy look a lot alike. Think about that for a second. Finally, both the individual and the church suffer. Prolonged immaturity creates self-doubt and extended dependence on leaders and a bridge for sin in the life of the individual. It is only as we do grow that we are able to face adult problems, minister to others, and overcome temptations. So, Paul's been addressing the characteristics of the carnal Christian. Now, he begins to really hone in on the foolishness of carnal Christians, and more so foolishness because they were putting their emphasis upon others and what they were doing rather than just looking at what God is doing. So he says here in verse 5, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But just simply ministers through, who, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. You see, Paul says, we're just ministers. We're ministers by through whom you believed, yeah, but it's the Lord at work. And when Paul uses that word ministry, he's not trying to put himself up, prop himself up. And sometimes we can do that today, right? Where we can kind of look at ministers as, oh, these are the servants of God. And we prop them up and sometimes they walk around very distinguished or they're wearing special clothing that makes them look like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a minister. And we tend to kind of elevate them from what I've, I've heard, I haven't experienced that, but you, you, you get the idea. And so, but the word minister that Paul uses is the word diakono, simply meaning servant. Paul says, we're no better than you, we're no different than you, we're just simply servants of God seeking to, to honor him and, and be used of him. They're serving God and carrying out his work. There was nothing special about them. They were just seeking to serve the one who is special, and that's the Lord. And it's the Lord that's carrying out his work. See, Paul says, we brought the good news. We, we delivered the goods. We may plant the seed or somebody may have watered it, but it's the Lord that brings the increase. It's the Lord that brings life to that which we've done. We can't do that ourselves. The Lord adds life to that. So Paul's using this analogy of agriculture. It's a very popular uh, illustration to use in, in this day, being a very agrarian society. And Jesus himself used similar kinds of illustrations and examples. Uh, you know, the parable of the soils, where he, he looked at different types of ground and soils and, the, and relate that to the conditions of the human heart and how the seed of the word goes out. So that was something that was very familiar to people to use these kinds of illustrations. Paul's doing much the same here, and he's linking this to the work that he's been partnering in with others. Planting a seed is important, 
and just as important of planting the seed is, is watering that seed. Each person is playing a significant and necessary role. Everybody has a part to play, but it's God that eventually brings about the increase, that brings life to all that work that's been brought together. So Paul says in verse 7, then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So Paul says, stop looking at men. Stop looking at these church leaders even that you think, oh man, they're so awesome. They're so great. I really want to align with them. Stop looking at them in that way because Paul says, they're nothing. Neither he who plants anything nor he who waters. They're, they're nothing. They're just vessels that God's working through. And God will work through any willing vessel. There's nothing special about them. They've just been obedient. They've been faithful to serve the Lord. But it's God that brings it all together. When we become preoccupied with the servant, it opens things up for favorites, for parties, for divisions. But when we're occupied with the master, we will be unified and operating as one. That's what Paul goes on to say here in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters, we're one. We're together in this. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So Paul says he who waters, he who plants, he have different roles, but we're all one. How is it that we're all one? Because we're all working for the same goal and the same outcome, which is what? To see people come to know Jesus, to be saved, forgiven of sin, but then also to come and grow in Jesus. That's what we're all striving for, I, I hope and pray. Amen? Everybody? We together on that? Okay. So we're all one. You might have a different role than somebody else. But we don't have to look at what somebody else is doing and say, man, I like what they're doing. Why can't I do that? Maybe I will. I'll just take that upon myself. I'm just going to do that role. That seems like a lot better of a role. It seems like they get a lot more recognition for what they're doing. I'm going to do that. God doesn't look at things that way. He goes, some water, some plant, but God does it. And, and that also reminds us that, man, we've got to be careful that we're not boasting in ourselves and taking credit for that which only God can do. Oh, I'm, I'm thankful for testimonies of people that have gone and shared the gospel and heard about, you know, people giving life to the Lord, but never should we be saying, man, I've just delivered so many people to the Lord and saved so many souls. Boy, I've been so good at doing this. I've done this work. And when we begin to boast in the fact that we've done it, no, no, you were just a vessel. Or better said, you're just a tool. <laughs> You're just a tool in the Lord's hands. There's nothing about you that's great that can do that work. God does it. So we can certainly say, oh man, I had an opportunity to share the gospel. And praise the Lord, God saved that person. The Spirit was at work and led them to Jesus. Hallelujah for that. God gives the increase. And notice that, that God is going to reward each according to his own labor. So don't, again, don't worry about what others are doing. Don't think that somebody's got a better job than you or that it's, it's better serving them. God's going to reward you according to your own labor. And here's the great thing about how God rewards people. God doesn't reward people based on how great of a job you do. Like he's going, well, you know what? I was really hoping that uh, you would see 10 people by now come to the Lord, but you've only got eight, so mm, you know what? It's kind of a C plus. I'll, I'll give you a reward, but I wish I could have given you a better reward. He's not looking at you and what you're doing and going, well, I'm going to reward you, but 
I really like what this person's doing over here. Man, that is amazing. I'm really going to reward them great. God doesn't reward you based on what you've done or, you know, your worldly success. He rewards you based on faithfulness. Are you faithful to carry out what God's called you to do? Some of you might be watering. Some of you might be planting that seed. Some of you might be just praying for people. I'm so thankful that, that, that there are people that I've been able to share the gospel with, and they're just so ready to receive Jesus. But I also recognize, you know what? There's probably somebody that's been praying for years for that person that's labored. And guess what? God's going to reward them. God's going to reward them for what they've done. I don't look, I go, oh, I can take all, I get all the reward for that person. Now. No, no. A reward just based on the faithfulness and the obedience for what God's called me to do. But there are others that have been a part of that process all along that God's going to reward. We don't have to worry about what we're doing. We're just having to be worried about being faithful to do what God's called us to do. It's 10, 12, 32. We got to move on. Okay. Um, so understand that God sees. Be active, be serving, but do so humbly and recognize that God's the one that carries it to fruition for his glory, for his purposes. Verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Again, Paul and Apollos. Paul's making it clear, nothing special. He said it didn't matter who you followed or aligned with. They were all just God's fellow workers. They're all just carrying out his work. And what's exciting about that is that we all recognize we're just co-laborers. Paul uses that word elsewhere. We're co-laborers. We're just working together all for the same common goal and purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus and seeing God glorified together in our midst. We're, we're co-laborers, but also... I believe we're God's fellow workers. We get to partner with the Lord. This is amazing to me. Because for those of you that have been parents and you've had young kids, and anytime that you've gone to do a task, let's say it's painting the house, and you might have a little four-year-old that sees, ooh, that looks fun. Daddy, can I come and help? And you're sitting there going, oh no, this is not gonna be good. I cannot put a paintbrush in that child's hand. You're going, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be more work for me. And we think we can't do it. And I think God could easily look at us that way. Where he'd be like, oh, no, no, no. You just, it's okay. I got this. <laughs> you just, please, just sit back. I'll take care of this. And, and we recognize God could do a much better work than we ever could. He could do a much quicker and cleaner work than we ever could. I think we oftentimes... This kind of can make a mess of things. But God invites us in to partner with him. This makes God so amazing to me that he doesn't just save us and, and put us on the sideline. He says to say, I want you now to participate in the, in the work that I'm doing. I want you to come alongside. See, what happens is the parent, when you bring your child in and say, well, this probably is not going to go well, but sure, grab a paintbrush. Let's have some fun together. Because now what's happening is you get to walk in fellowship and relationship. You get to grow together. You get to talk together. You get to have some fun together. And I think God invites us in because there we get to participate in fellowship with him. And we get to grow in him. We get to see his heart all the more as he carries out his work and allows us to participate and partner with him, with him in that as God's fellow workers. What a blessing it is. Paul says also that church is seen as a 
field by which the seed of the word has been planted. He's made sure that seed will be watered and that the seed can have optimal conditions for it to grow. So he wants the church to be free of carnality and, and divisions and strife and envy. He wants the church to be seen as God's field to where people can come and just grow and have optimal conditions for it. And then Paul moves from agriculture to, to architecture as he says, you are God's building. As a church, you're, you're God's building. Talks about the foundation of the building. He had come and put down that foundation when he visited them the first time at Corinth as he shared with them the truth of who Jesus was. That's the foundation that they were to be built upon was Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. That foundation continues to be upon Jesus Christ. It's not built upon another person, an apostle. It's not built upon Mary or Rome. It's built upon Jesus Christ. And that's why he says at the end of verse 12, you must take heed how you build on it. There's no point adding things to it that, that are not of Christ where things aren't gonna mesh. We'll see that as we continue on in chapter three next week, how there's materials that can be added that aren't gonna stand the test of time. Paul says in verse seven, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, there's a lot of foundations that, you can, that can be laid, but only one is gonna stand Indeed, that tested time. Only one will weather the storms of life. That's the foundation of Jesus Christ. That foundation will never let you down. What are you building your life upon? Are you building it upon Jesus Christ? Are you desiring to continue to grow up in him? Are you building with the right things upon that, that foundation? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you continuing on in just a life of carnality? It's time to get yourself established upon that foundation of Jesus Christ and build up upon that. Be strengthened. Continue to walk in and be empowered by the Spirit as you grow in Him and receive all that the Lord has for you. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for being a good God who loves us, who has saved us, given us peace and life. Thank you that you've equipped us with your spirit as well to live for you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today and those that maybe have been struggling in this area of the flesh and they failed to even see that they can rely upon you and your spirit to empower them. I pray today that you would just give us a fresh filling of your spirit and equip us and empower us to live for you, Lord, to not be to not be governed by the flesh, to not let that have any weight in our lives any longer, but to walk in that freedom that your spirit gives and the, and the power to live a changed life, Lord. Do that in us, Jesus. And may we see a, a healthy church that's building up upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, serving one another, working together to see us all come to that maturity in you. So lead us in these things now, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.